we'll go ahead and get ready um, to get going. Uh, my name is Ashley Reffitt, and this is Women's Discipleship on Lifelong Mission. Um, I am a consultant with the Baptist State Convention for Women's Discipleship, and we're just really glad to have you here today. Um, that was formerly known as Embrace, as some of you are familiar with that name. It's the same ministry, um, just a new name to bring some continuity across the convention and the ministries of the convention. I've worked with Embrace and our Women's Discipleship for the last five years, and I'm honored to be serving in this role in the time of transition and restructuring. Um, please know that the convention is here for you and your Women's Discipleship needs and to resource you and all the churches we have across the state. Um, I also serve as the Associate Campus Director for the Summit Church's Garner Campus, where I lead Women's Discipleship and Guest Services. Um, and last but not least, I'm a wife and a mom of three kids. I have a middle school-aged daughter and two elementary-aged sons, and feel free to pray for me often. <laughs> um, so I've been in ministry for a little over 20 years and have had the pleasure of serving in many capacities um, in Christian education, in children's ministry, and in women's discipleship all across our state. Um, I'm often reminded and often remind myself that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called, and we just have to be faithful to follow um, his leading in our lives. And so 20 years ago, I never would have imagined all the doors that he's opened. Um, I never would imagine all the places he was going to take me or all the things he was going to allow me to be a part of as I followed that call. And that's why we're here today, to follow the call of being a disciple-making disciple, to live out the Great Commission in our hearts um, and to do what we do as believers. Um, we are the church and we're on mission together to win and to build and to send missional disciples. And so today we're going to look at women's discipleship on lifelong mission. If you're doing the breakout after us, Christina Devlin's going to kind of look at how that plays out in the church. And we're going to look at kind of like why women's discipleship and the what of women's discipleship. And so we live in a rapidly changing culture and there's no better time or opportunity than to serve the women around us. Uh, we're going to dig into the importance of intentionally living on mission um, with those in our churches, those in our communities, and especially those in our circles of influence as we walk in obedience to God's call. So I'm excited to be with you today, and we are going to um, dig into evangelism and discipleship, and what better way to do that than to be surrounded by women. So we're going to take just a minute, and I'm going to give you time just to kind of grasp your thoughts on evangelism and discipleship. What do they mean to you? And then how would you define them practically in your own words? So this is just a, something for you really fast. There's a little piece of paper I'm going to give you. You can just jot that down on there. There's some directions on there. I'll go just pass those down for me. What does discipleship and evangelism mean to you? <laughs> It's on the front. Just kind of think that over. What does is, what is discipleship and evangelism mean to you? Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. And how do you practically apply that to women's discipleship? Again, no one's going to see your answers. Just a little something for you to kind of get your thoughts around. Evangelism and discipleship. In your own words.
All right, we're going to take just a minute, and you're going to turn to someone on your right or to your left, someone around you, and just kind of share real quick your thoughts. If you're thinking, I'm a little nervous, they likely are as well. So you're just going to collaborate together with someone around you, if there's one or two ladies around you, and just share what you, th- what you think evangelism discipleship means to you personally, um, just a little collaboration together. So real quick, share. <laughs> of you all so there are likely 27 different answers to that same question of evangelism and discipleship and so we could all go around and share like I said they would all be different but the thing is they also always go together evangelism and discipleship must go hand in hand and we can't have one without the other and so that has to be the heart of the women's discipleship as we lead and serve and influence those around us it has to be the heart of what we do as a believer I attend the summit and we have a saying at the summit the gospel is not just the diving board it's the pool Yes, and so I let that resonate for a moment. I'm going to repeat it and try to think that through. The gospel is not just the diving board, it's the pool. We all agree it is the diving board, it's the entry into our relationship with Jesus. Um, and we don't, like, we don't just stop there, though. We have to move on from evangelism to discipleship. The gospel is the entire swimming pool, and it's our job to press that on the hearts of the women that we lead and the women we serve and the women we disciple. Discipleship and evangelism go hand in hand. And so as today we discuss discipleship, please know that we don't just evangelize and check that box and then dunk them in the pool and then go ahead and move on to discipleship. The gospel is the center of all that we do in discipleship. It's the heart of what we do, and it's the center of every woman's event that we should lead. It should be the center of our Bible studies. It should be the center of our fellowship gatherings. It should be the center of all that we do in women's ministry is the gospel. And so if you're looking for a good resource to dig deeper into this, I would highly recommend Word Field Women's Ministry. Um, it says Loving and Serving the Church. And it's a great resource that really, Word Field Women's Ministry, it's a great resource that really just hones in on that, that everything we do should point others to the gospel. 
everything we do. Even our social events need to be grounded in the Word. So it's a great resource. Every, uh, Word-Filled Women's Ministries by Gloria Furman and Kathleen Nielsen. If you just Google Word-Filled Women's Ministry, you'll find it. But as we disciple, we must continually go back to the gospel. We must continually point women there, and we must realize that we're called to go and to tell, but we're also called to be a disciple-making disciple. We don't just move on after we go and tell. We need to multiply, and we need to equip, and we need to catalyze the women that we serve to do the same. Evangelism without, without discipleship excuse me, is like shallow roots, and the wind's going to come, and the storm's going to blow, and there'll be nothing left to hold them there. There'll be no ground for them to stand on. We have to disciple and grow deep roots and to tap into the source. We have to tap into the living water, and we have to feed our souls. That living water is the gospel, and we never need to divorce those two. Evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand, and they are the diving board and the pool. And so we need to dive in deep with the women that we serve, the ones that God has entrusted to us. Um, and we need to uh, use that as we work and minister in our circles of influence in our everyday life. And so you'll hear me today talk a lot about your circle of influence because it's important. God has given you women within your churches to minister to, but he's also given you women within your circle of influences outside of your churches. You see, there's a greater influence when there's an opportunity to walk and live out the gospel with the women in our lives and with those who see our faith played out in our lives around us. They're watching everything we do. We're watching what we say. They're watching how we live. And they're watching how we live on mission, pointing others to Jesus. Even if you don't lead women's discipleship in your church, you lead women somewhere. Maybe your own daughters, maybe it is a college ministry, maybe it's the women you work with. We all have a circle of influence, and that's where God is calling us to share the gospel and to live on discipleship. You see, I think about women's discipleship in a local church, and there's not really a list I can give you of how you want to tailor your women's ministry or how you want to form it or a certain format that's going to give you what you need. There's countless ways to do ministry, but we all need to point them to the gospel. It all sounds good, but in reality, it's just not quite that neat. So let's be honest. Nothing in ministry is ever really neat. Um, and that's the awesome thing about our God. There's no formula. There's no cookie cutter. We all are from different churches. We're all from different ministries, but we want to live out the gospel together as a believer. The key components of what we do are the same. The heart of what we have as a leader should be the same. The focus of our ministry should be the same. But please know that God's going to flesh that out differently in all 27 ways that he fleshes that out through the 27 different ladies represented in this room. And he's going to flesh that out differently in your life over the years. Please know that his plans are never ours. And thankfully, his are always much better. We have to submit to his authority, we have to submit to his calling, and we have to submit to going wherever he leads us. And even when he changes that along the way, our job is to submit to him and to follow his plans because they're always better than ours. You see, I'm a planner, type A to a fault. I love a list and a checklist, and, and sometimes I'll make a list when I'm done just to check it off. Um, and so just hear me, though, even in my type A-ness, God doesn't work in those lists and those boxes, and ministry doesn't often work in our list either. And so we have to prepare ourselves because God is much bigger than our list. And the women that we are called to serve, they aren't ladies that we're going to check off on our list either. We are called to shepherd their hearts, and we are called to serve the Lord. And so don't get me wrong, like I said, I love a list, but when we look into ministry, we need to realize his plans are far greater than we can ever put on our list. I want you to think about your own life and what brought you here today. What, maybe what, what is your plan? What, maybe you lead women's discipleship at your church. 
Um, maybe God's calling you to that. And you just feel like I need to get some more resources in that. Or maybe you don't even really know why you're here today. Um, and maybe five years ago, did you think you would be here sitting in a breakout on women's discipleship? Or when you were a little girl, did you really feel like God had called me to serve women? We are all seeking God's direction. Um, maybe he's leading you um, to step up into ministry, or maybe he's been leading you for years. Um, and so we just want to choose to walk in obedience wherever he leads us and to walk, in, um, walk that out in our life. And so 20 years ago, I sat in seminary at Southeastern and I had plans and I thought that I had my whole career mapped out. You see, that was the first problem. Ministry is not a career, it is a calling. And please know that God's call on your life is not once and done. He's not gonna give you the call and then he's done with you until you are done. Um, it is a continually changing thing as he continually changes us. And some of you may be thinking, I'm not even called to ministry. This is just where I serve in my local church. Well, guess what? It's a calling and he's called you to that. And it's our obedience in where we serve in whatever capacity he's given you to serve. 20 years ago, I never thought I would have been sitting here talking to you about women's ministry, um, let alone be leading out in that ministry. It was never my plan, but it was God's plan, and I just have to walk in obedience. If I can press one thing on you today, it would be to surrender your service daily to the Lord. It's a daily living with open hands as we abide in Him and His Word, Lord, and as we seek Him and what He's doing in our life, as we just intentionally live with the people around us, and as we pour into them, that becomes our joy. Whatever you do and wherever he leads you to follow with open hands and that will shape your life and that will begin shaping those around you. Because like I said, our calling is continual. It's not once and done. Um, we are called a shepherd, but we also must submit to the shepherd. We must follow him and we have to lead by example, trusting that we are the clay in the potter's hands. He's forever molding and shaping us. Um, we're just a vessel of his word. When I was 17, I felt the call to ministry. Um, I was a pretty active teenager in my church, and I was on a World Changers mission trip, and they gave the invitation one night, and God just clearly spoke to my heart, and I knew that he had called me to ministry. But I told you I was type A, and that was not at all my plan, and I really didn't want to surrender to that. I didn't really understand that, and so I didn't even tell anybody. Um, and I went home, and I was in an Experiencing God Bible study that summer, and a couple weeks later, I was at youth camp, and God just kept pressing on my heart, and I began to realize that I needed to surrender to that call, and I shared it with my youth pastor, and I came home and shared it with my church and my family, um, and I had peace knowing that ministry was my future, but I had no clue what exactly that was going to be. As a female in the mid-90s, what exactly did that mean to be in ministry? And so, as some of you are shaking your head, it's no different in 2020. Um, so as a college approach, um, I shared that I was going to study religion, and a lot of people would ask, what are you going to do? Well, that was a good question. And it was one I did not have an answer to. I didn't know the what that God had called me to, but I trusted that he was gonna reveal it along the way and I just went. And so 20 years later, he's still revealing it. You see what, I'm a what's girl. I told you details, they matter. I love them. But when we are in ministry, the what is not what's important, it's the why. Why do you do what you do? Why has God called you to do this? It's the why that's what matters. And when the what gets fuzzy, we have to remember the why. You see, if we get caught in the what, what am I doing? What am I supposed to do? What are the women I'm leading supposed to do? What events do I host? What do we study? What, 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 what? Then we forget the why. We have to understand the why. Why am I leading? And what is, why does ministry even matter? And why are we called to disciple women? And why have I given up everything else to follow him and this call? See, if not, we run our race in vain and we're exhausted and we're ever striving and we just lack peace. What you do is important, don't get me wrong, but why you do it is the foundation. 
And when we get the why right, then the what is going to come. When you struggle with the what and the details begin to bog you down, when you get overwhelmed, you need to go back to the why. Why are you here? And why do you want to minister to women? Why do you want to shepherd others? And why do you give your time and your talents and your treasure to proclaim Christ and to live set apart? Because that's not always easy. It's not an easy call and it's not going to make an easy life. And honestly, in truth, ministry is really glamorous, but it's designed to bring God's glory. And was ministry in Jesus' day glamorous? Anything but. Jesus didn't live on a platform. He lived on his feet. He went to the people. He met them where they were. He met his disciples where they were, and he discipled and ministered to others. He met people where they were, and we are supposed to do the same because that's where discipleship begins. You see, Jesus called them out of where they were, and he called them to where he was leading them. It's a process. Changing people's lives is a process. And our lives are completely changed, of course, when we meet Christ. We are a new creation. But discipleship is a process because he's ever-changing us as we grow in him. And that's the same with the women that we minister to. Please also remember Jesus wasn't always popular. In reality, he wasn't often popular, and we're not called to be either. We're called to reach all people, but don't get lured in the trap that we must look like all people. We are called to live set apart and to love others set apart. We aren't called to model our lives and our ministries after platforms, but after the ministry of Jesus. Go to the people, know the people, and serve and love the people to point them to Jesus. As we intentionally live on mission together and walk out obedience in God's call in our lives and in the women we disciple. See, we're called to be a reflection of him and his word and his ways, not of our ministry mentors and not of our idols. And yes, I said idols because oftentimes we will make idols, even of people in ministry. And we must, have, must admit those, we must be on alert for those. And we also must surrender those to the Lord because our job is to lift him up, not others. If you find yourself modeling your ministry after anyone other than Jesus, it's time to take a step back and take a step into his word. You see, he's gifted you with gifts and talents and abilities, and he wants to use you to disciple in ways that he's called you. He wants to use you to shape the lives of those in your churches and your circles of influence. That's intentional discipleship, and it's lifelong mission as we disciple women in our everyday life. As you intentionally pour into others, God is gonna refine you and your heart. And when we earnestly seek God's word for our life, that overflows into the lives of others that we disciple. See, discipleship is much more of a come walk alongside me than a hey, listen to me. And it's no doubt that the disciples watched Jesus, but they were with him much more. They saw him heal the needs of the people. They saw him go to the people. They saw him see the people where they were, hear the people, love the people. You see, Jesus went to the people. He just didn't teach them from a classroom. He modeled what he taught on his feet with his disciples. And that's what evangelism and discipleship is. It's the heart of our women's ministry. It's the heart of every ministry. And we have to set our hearts on him and what he's doing in and through you and your life as you follow him. And then walk alongside the women in our churches and the women in our circles of influence as we lead by example. How many shepherds can you call out by name? David? I don't want any past that, to be honest with you, because likely that's a pretty short list because shepherds are not very popular. They're not real glamorous, um, and typically they're not famous. Um, we are never forgetting that we are called to shepherd. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, and we're called to shepherd his sheep. And sheep, they're not glamorous. They're dirty, 
and they're stubborn and they're prone to wander and they lose their direction and their guidance often. They follow the herd with little thought of where they're going and they rely on someone else to defend them and to protect them and to provide for them. We're not called to shepherd purebred poodles, we're called to shepherd sheep. And we're all sheep, not much different than those we shepherd. We're prone to wander, we go our own way, no matter how many times we clean ourselves up, we end up dirty yet again. And we need our shepherd to direct our path. And we're called to do the same with the women that we minister to. It's a dirty job and it's tiring and it's tedious, but there's no other thing we'd rather do when God puts that call in our life than spend our time in the field with our sheep. And typically that's not social media worthy, but you have to understand ministry rarely is. Shepherds typically don't have platforms, but they live their lives out among the sheep. That's discipleship. The daily life with your sheep, protecting them and leading them and guiding them and providing for them while you point them to the shepherd. That's what we do in discipleship. And honestly, that's what I've done for the last 20 years, how, what that's looked like and how that's changed over the years. Um, but in the same, it's the same as I have uh, tried to seek that and disciple others along the way. I told you I really didn't know what he was calling me to, but I submitted and went to college and studied religion and Christian ministry, and I trusted that somewhere along the way he was going to let me know. Well, in the fall of my freshman year, my New Testament professor gave an open invitation to our class, and he said his wife taught fifth grade in the local elementary school, and he invited us to come and volunteer in her class on the college campus. Honestly, I have no clue why I volunteered, but I did, and I found myself in her classroom once a week helping her students. And I began to realize there that I really love kids. And it came very natural to me to spend my time there. It was something I looked forward to. And so as I began to do that every week, the wheels began to turn and God began to reveal to me um, that maybe it's kids. And so I talked to my advisor about, well, maybe I should double in education. And so we had a talk and he explained that that curriculum was pretty compact and it was gonna take an extra year if I was to do that. And I thought, no way, I have my plan and it was to go into seminary and I don't wanna spend another year here. And so I just said, I'm not so sure about that. Again, that was my plan, and we'll get to that in a little bit later. Um, so I took an elective that spring in um, child lesson development just to kind of see what my thoughts were. And I fell in love with the class, and I began to realize through that class that God had called me to children's ministry. And so in the late 90s, there were no programs for children's ministry, so I decided just to create my own. And I doubled in child development and Christian ministry and decided that when I was done, I was gonna go into seminary and I was going to um, be a preschool children's minister, have a weekday preschool, and um, it all sounded perfect, right? Well, if you remember how I introduced myself, I don't do any of those things um, anymore. I'm currently the campus director of guest services and women's discipleship, and you didn't hear anything about kids in that. And so just as we grow as the disciple, we also grow in ministry, and the journey is rarely where we planned, we just follow his plans. Um, for you personally and for the women that you lead. So I did go on to seminary, and in my last uh, semester there, I began to graduate, and God began to call me into the classroom. And he wasn't calling me into a preschool classroom at my church like I'd planned. He called me to the public school classroom. As a teacher, six years of private education, two degrees and a whole lot of money, I wasn't qualified to teach public school. And I began to wonder, what are you doing here, God? And I had to remember where I started. You see, God doesn't qualify the called. He, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And so within a couple weeks from graduating from seminary, I was back at school and I was studying um, education. And so that summer I sat through my classes and um, I just was saying, you know, what are you doing here, God? I was confused because this was not my plan and this was a new path and it surely didn't fit in my neat little box. Um, and how was God gonna use me to teach and how was I going to do ministry in a public school? How was that evangelism and discipleship? 
So fast forward through summer school and I was turning in a final project in one of my classes. This was long before online classes where you just hit submit. I actually had to go and give them some paper. And so I went into my professor's office and I handed her this printed paper. And as I was talking to her, the admin for the department came in the door and she handed the professor a pink slip of paper. It was actually a pink slip where you took a phone message from a phone, you know, in the wall with a cord. And she gave her the message. And the professor read the message and she stopped and she looked at me and she said, do you want a job? And I quickly said, no, I'm not ready to teach yet. And she just said, do you want a job? The elementary school on campus needs a fifth grade teacher and they start in two days. Do you want a job? <laughs> and I thought, is this real? Um, the elementary school she was referring to was the one I volunteered at six years, seven years before that. Um, and fifth grade was the grade where I would volunteered and they wanted a teacher in two days. Um, and so God began to work in that. But I felt very unqualified. I said, no, thank you. And I left her office and I went home, but I couldn't shake that. And I couldn't shake the coincidence of all of that. And I didn't sleep really well that night. And the next morning I got up, I went on the web, like dialed into the internet. Um, and I found the school number and I gave them a call. Well, after several rings, this older lady answers the phone. It was really odd. She fumbled to the phone and she kind of fumbled to even answer the phone. And I began to doubt what in the world, why was I even calling in the first place? It just seemed really odd. So she went on to tell me that she was the principal and she said, can you come in this morning? I would like to talk to you. And I thought, what do I have to lose? But the real question was, what did they have to gain in hiring me? And so I went in that morning and I sat in her very unorganized office and she came around the desk and she sat down beside me and she looked at me and she had taught, uh, been in ministry education for over 30 years. And she was very kind and she looked at me and she says, you know, from your background, I can be honest with you. She said, um, she knew that I had been in ministry and she said, um, the, the Lord sent you here. She said, I've prayed for a good fifth grade teacher and I know that you're the answer to my prayers. And I thought, okay, we're in a public school and she's just telling me she's prayed for me. Okay, and so she said, um, I, the, when I answered the fax machine, I just knew the Lord had sent me. And so she started talking for a bit and that she was, was heading to the bathroom and the fax machine phone happened to ring. I just was really confused at what this had to do with me. And by the looks of her office, I didn't even know how she found the fax machine. <laughs> and so finally I asked her about the fax machine and she said, well, that's the number that you called. And I said, excuse me? And she said, you didn't call the school number, you called the fax machine number. You see, back then there was no smartphone where I could just hit send. I typed the wrong number off the website for the fax machine and she just happened to be going to the bathroom, the only way she would have heard it ring, and she answered the phone. And you see, I'm type A and I need a plan and God knew I needed a definite answer to say, this is where I want you. <laughs> you see, what does fifth grade have to do with ministry? Um, it has everything to do with ministry is that was where God taught me to disciple. Um, that's where God taught me to disciple the least of these. A few days later, I sat in a classroom and a bell rang and there were 18 sets of 10 year old eyes staring at me and I had no clue what I was doing, but they didn't know I didn't know what I was doing and we just went with it. Um, those kids taught me more that year than I ever taught them. And for seven years, I taught public school and God gave me a classroom where I could shape the lives of children and families that I would never be able to do in the walls of my church. I didn't stop doing ministry. I did ministry every day. That door to that classroom opened me up to families that I would never Never have met in Bible school or Sunday school or your children's programs or our potluck dinners. That classroom taught me that discipleship is doing ministry on your feet, not on a platform. To love those kids where they were. Some came from really solid families and they just needed someone to help them learn. Some of them came from broken homes and they just needed stability. And some of them came from shattered homes and they just needed someone to speak kind words and love them. You see, some of them had parents who were struggling and needed someone to walk alongside them and encourage them and resource them. That's intentional discipleship as we live on lifelong mission with those God's puts in our circle of influence. 
real life pointing people to Jesus. But I quickly learned ministry doesn't come in neat little packages like I envisioned because ministry is messy. And people are messy and lives are messy and ministry is doing life wherever God put you alongside the people he put around you. It's not for the faint of heart and it's not a means to an end. The people that we pour into are the people that Jesus loves and there's no end to that. I taught school for seven years and all of my students are now grown up. Many of them are married and some of them have children of their own. And in God's graciousness, he's kept me in touch with them. I've been able to connect with their lives and I've been able to even lead them um, to church and to different things along the way and to invest in their life in the long haul because that's what lifelong mission is. He will likely lead you to your own classroom of some sort along the way and then he'll likely change your plan along the way as well. But we have to remember that he equips us along the way. So fast forward a few kids of my own in a few years and he changed my plan yet again. And my season in the classroom was a short one and he led me back to the local church. But I was more equipped this time to minister to families in my local church as I went back and serving in children's ministry. I understood families better. I understood the importance of relationships and being committed to their lives and the hearts of the people we minister to. And I understood the importance of plugging them into and leading them in the word. I understood that we didn't minister from far above or far away, that we walk alongside these people and we walk with them together, telling them about Jesus. Um, as we serve, we serve with open hands on ministry and mission together. And when we follow the life of Jesus in the Gospels, we don't often find him in a church building. We find him out among the church, the people. You see, he taught his lessons from a hillside and from homes. He taught them to large crowds, and sometimes the crowds were small. He taught as he walked, he taught as he ate, and he talked as he worked. He laughed, and he loved, and he rebuked, and he wept, and he mourned, and he encouraged, and he inspired, and he got angry, and he healed, and he lived among the people. He poured his life into his disciples, and he taught them. He walked the long roads alongside of them, and he brought them back when they went astray. He loved them even when they didn't reciprocate that love. He stood up for them. He rebuked them when they needed it. He lovingly showed them the way back. And that's what discipleship is. It's not always a neat program or a checklist. It's often living life with Jesus and walking it out with those he's placed around us. It's not a neat program. It's not a checklist. It's people, the people he's put in our life to do ministry together. And if you're still likely asking, how did I get to where I am now, women's discipleship, well, I served in children's ministry in my local church for years, and I began to get involved in the women's, the women's ministry at my church. It was just something I did for fun, and in time I found myself in leadership there, but I never envisioned that was where ministry was officially going to take me. You see, churches are messy, and sometimes they're traumatic. Um, and ministry leaders struggle, and some stay strong in that struggle, and some of them fall away. And I quickly found myself in the middle of a ministry struggle. It wasn't my own. Um, but it was one that I had to help clean up as my senior pastor quickly stepped out of the pulpit and out of ministry altogether. I couldn't preach the sermons. I couldn't lead Wednesday night Bible study. I couldn't do many of the tasks that he left empty, but I could love and care for our people in the interim. I could shepherd and disciple, and I could lead them to Jesus' own mission together. And so as I dove into, dove into the mess, God continued to teach me the importance of discipleship and investing in the lives of others. First, you have to meet them where they are. You have to gain their trust. You have to prove that you're committed. And sadly, people are skeptical because they've been hurt. We have to put in the time and get to know the people and invest in their lives because that's where discipleship begins. And as I poured into the hurting congregation and as I tried my best to be the hands and feet of Jesus, he was loving me through a difficult time as I was ministering to others. It's often through our suffering that we draw the closest to him, where he refines us and where he reshapes us and where he fine tunes us. 
Just like the Israelites out in the wilderness, he's our shepherd in our deepest valley, and he always provides. Well, he used that interim to connect me back to the Baptist State Convention. And through that, he gave me a rock-solid mentor who would speak truth into my life and shape my ministry in ways that I never even understood at the time. And through my mentor at the convention, he also introduced me to Ashley Allen, who formerly led Embrace Ministry. And Ashley led me in the word in the season where I struggled without a pastor of my own. You see, God always provides. He, it's going to fill your soul. He's going to encourage you. He's going to refine you. And he's going to prepare you for things that you couldn't even imagine. My church did call a new pastor in time, and I thought things were looking up, but there were some red flags. And I began to pray, and I trusted, and I just kept doing my job. Well, remember the Israelites, they demanded a king, and that wasn't exactly God's way, but they insisted, and so they insisted on Saul, and we all know where that ended up. Sometimes our plans don't come in neat little packages, and sometimes they aren't quite what we expect, and they don't quite go as we planned. And I quickly found myself the unappreciated female staff member. It wasn't personal. It would have been any female in any role. Sadly, many of you will experience this along the way being a female in ministry. You have to pray hard, you have to abide, follow your Savior, and remain steadfast in your calling and keep your head up because God will provide. I hung in for a long time and actually hung in probably too long, and God had to get pretty bold to tell me it was time to go. Uh, We needed to give up to be healthy for me and for my family. And I look back, I realized I wasn't really giving up. God was leading me to healing, and he was leading me to healthy. And sometimes you have to let go because you don't know what's next, and we have to trust that God does. And that's when the Lord led us to the megachurch. And I even cringe saying megachurch because that was never my ministry aspiration. Again, God doesn't always follow our plans, and they don't always come in neat little packages. And so after the first Sunday, we knew this is where God was leading our family, but we really wanted to fight it. You see, it was too big. Um, Where would I minister here? And there were just so many questions. And God said, you need to sit, and you need to rest, and you need to heal. And so that's what we did. And for six months, we worshiped like normal people. We dropped our kids off in the kids' ministry. We went and sat in church, and we worshiped, and we went home. There was no serving. There was no teaching. There were no commitments. We just worshiped, and we healed because God knew that's what our family needed before we can move on. And you notice I said family because when you're in ministry, it's your family. It's not just you. My husband is a computer engineer by trade, but he is knee-deep in ministry by choice. My kids have lived in church since they were in the womb, and they know no different than being in ministry themselves. God knew that our whole family needed time to breathe and to heal, to fully surrender um, to discipleship and what he was doing in my life and other ways. And I found peace knowing that ministry doesn't always come with a title. It doesn't always come with a paycheck. And it always doesn't come where he, where you put yourself. It comes with a calling and it comes with surrender. So a few months later, we were launching a new campus in my hometown. And my family jumped in to serve on a pre-launch team. We had rested and we had healed and we were ready to get back in to serve and connect. We were ready to volunteer, but I had no plans of seeking ministry at this church. As we began to get plugged in, I struggled because I didn't even lean towards the kids' ministry at all, rather I found myself really enjoying our guest services. One day it was me with my mentor and I was struggling and I said I felt guilty that I'm not willing to serve in our kids' ministry. I said God's given me talents and I didn't feel like I was using them for him. I didn't even want to be part of the kids' ministry and I just wondered how I'd given up. And it would take about two weeks for what he said to me to really sink in. God knew I needed to prepare for what he was doing. My minister, uh, ministry mentor told me that he had watched me lead in kids' ministry for years, and it was a blessing. But he said, your gift is teaching. You're just comfortable teaching kids. You see, God knew I needed that seed planted in my mind for what was to come in a couple weeks. Because a couple weeks later, I would get a phone call from my church's central women's discipleship director. And she called to ask me would I consider being the women's discipleship coordinator as we launched our campus in a few weeks. And I was silent. But my mind immediately went back to that conversation. And I heard my mentor saying in my mind, your gift is teaching. You're just comfortable teaching kids. 
You see, God calls us out of our comfort zone. He calls us where we don't feel qualified. The thing is, you're not qualified, but he will equip you where he calls you if we just obey. You see, five years prior, I had just started serving in women's ministry for fun, and little by little, he began to equip me and prepare me for what he had ahead for me. You also, uh, he also took my love for people and he, uh, my desire to connect with people and combine those together as I lead women's discipleship and guest services. And not all of the where or the how I thought I'd be serving 20 years ago because ministry doesn't come in pretty little packages, but he calls us and he equips us and we just obey on lifelong mission. And that's what's brought me here today. My heart is for discipleship and my heart is for women and my heart is for sharing the word with others. And so what does women's discipleship look like in the local church? Maybe that's why you're here and you want the answer to that question. Well, it's a good question. But just like we had 27 different answers to what is evangelism and discipleship, there are millions of different answers to what that looks like in the local church. Maybe you've been involved in your women's ministry for years and there's an established program and you just want a little encouragement. Or maybe you inherited a program that's kind of a mess and it needs revitalizing. Or maybe you're starting from the ground up. And the thing is, there is not one way to lead women's ministry there's no cookie cutter plan to follow that's gonna guarantee success in your church because every church is different. Every region is different. Every ministry is different. Every leader is different. But the one thing remains the same, that we're called to be a disciple making disciple and we're called to live life together with the women that we serve. What does women's discipleship look like in my church? And I'll explain that. My campus is only about three years old and it's probably the size of some of the churches in, um, in this room here today. And so at my church, women's discipleship exists to provide women with opportunities to read, study, teach, and apply scripture in their everyday lives. We equip and champion women to be disciples who make disciples in our area and around the world. That's our goal. It's basic and it's biblical, and that's what we're all called to do. In a nutshell, we want women in the word. We want them in the truths of God's word to shape their life and we want them to be prepared to minister to those around them. We want to encourage women to be a disciple-making disciple, just like us. We want to make disciples, not just converts. So many of you may be thinking, Ashley, you said you work for Summit, and that's nothing like my church. Again, I do work in the mega church, but it is also similar in some ways, and we'll kind of get to that. Um, I work also on a team of women discipleship coordinators. Each of our 10 campuses has a women discipleship coordinator and we work together on our team, on the team together. We pray together, we serve together, we encourage each other together. Uh, many of you won't find yourselves in positions like mine, but you do need to find yourself a team. <clears throat> Create a team of women at your church who have a heart for missions, who have a heart for women, who have a heart discipleship. Create a team and network with women at other churches in your area. Um, there are many women in this room that you can connect with and make a team. Pray together, encourage one another, keep one another accountable, and do life together. Because ministry is hard and we need a team to support us. We aren't in competition with one another. We're here to complement one another as we lead. And so each of our 10 campuses at my church has their own staff team. And I serve on my campus staff team as the Women's Discipleship Coordinator at my campus. That's my normal day-to-day -day job, working with a pastor and a music minister and a youth guy and a student's guy and a kid's guy, just like many of you in, a many ch in most churches. Okay? Um, and so that is where I do day-to-day -day ministry. I had the exciting opportunity to lead our Women's Discipleship as we launched our campus, and which was much like a church plant. A lot of enthusiasm, a lot of excitement a lot of momentum, a lot of fun, and a whole lot of work. Um, some of you will inherit ministry along the way and that you're gonna serve in, and some of you will start from scratch, and some of you will just 
take that along as you go and it will change as you go. If you're starting from the ground up, I encourage you, it's exciting and God's going to provide. Just stay faithful to what he's calling you to do. Just remember that Jesus is the center of all of what we do and find yourself a team and pray together. Pray more than you plan and lead with open hands to his call. Building a program has its perks but it also has its pitfalls. John 15, five is one of my favorite verses for life and ministry. It says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, we have to cling to the vine, abide with him in his word and ground our ministry in his word and he will produce the fruit. You may remember this was the theme of our 2019 uh, Women's Retreat at Caraway. That retreat and the year plus of planning to prepare for that really reshaped my ministry and my life. Women's Discipleship at my church has several foundational components. We offer Bible study throughout the year to our women. They spend an average of about 10 weeks in Bible study with about 10 other women digging into books of the Bible. These groups meet on different days of the week. They meet at different places during, uh, in the community, and they meet at different days. You see, my campus meets at a local school, so we had to be really flexible and creative when we are going to meet during the week. Maybe you have a building with lots and lots of space, or maybe you don't. It's not where that's important, where you gather, it's why we gather, and the purpose is to connect women and get them in the Word. We also create a more intimate uh, way to study through what we call our equip groups. Um, these are intentional groups of evangelism and discipleship, and it's about three to four women who dive deep into Scripture together. They study on a deeper level, and they also enter the program with the intention of multiplication. Their intent is to lead others in a following study, and that's pretty much an expectation when they start. Don't be afraid to challenge your women to multiply. Remind them that that's what we're called to do as a disciple, making disciple a mission together, and remind them that the women that they're scared of are just as scared as they are. Studying the Word is the core of discipleship, but we also want to provide women with opportunities to connect and to serve. We host connection events where there's no formal program or study. Sometimes it's just something fun or a way to welcome new people together in a welcoming environment. Um, this is especially good for people who are new or people or the women who are on the fringe and need to get connected because fellowship leads to discipleship when Jesus is our focus. Just like I said, everything we want to do wants to be grounded in the word and the gospel. Um, we want everyone to feel connected and we want them to belong because that's how we form connections which lead to discipleship. So don't overlook these opportunities or think they're pointless because there's no formal teaching or speaking involved. They have a point and we want women to get connected so that we can go deep with them. There are times when I'm overwhelmed and there's a lot going on and these are the first things that I think are going to go out the door and the first things I should skip. And then I have to remember how crucial connections are. And if you don't have time to do these things, this is when we look around our churches and we find women who have these gifts and we have these abilities. We take time to look for the women who enjoy hosting and hospitality and gifts like that to help lead out so that you don't get burned out. We take the time to know the, men, the women that we minister to and remember that we're not called to do everything. We need people to come alongside us and pour into us as we pour into them. And so that's why there's importance of you gathering your people and you gathering a team. Uh, my church also leads um, a large annual event for women where they gather together and worship and, and hear a message. Maybe some of you have events like that as well at your churches where you bring in speakers or you have programs. And these are also important. And this is a time to invest in your team of volunteers because Jesus taught the crowd, but he discipled the 12. And so you need to pour into your leaders, pray with them, pray for them, and keep them connected to the word as they minister alongside of you. Just like Moses and Aaron and her, you need to hold up each other's arms as you do ministry together. 
these are the basics of the program that we offer at our church, but please realize that discipleship looks different. It doesn't fit in neat little packages. It's not a neat little program. The heart of what you do is one-on-one discipleship with the women that you lead and the women that you serve. We can't do life one-on-one with every woman, so understand your limits and pour into your leaders as you begin to multiply your ministry. Get to know your women, those in your Bible studies, and especially those who aren't. As we launched our campus, I led a women's ministry with no women. And so it took time to build relationships. It took time to connect and to meet women and to to get them connected so that they would um, attend. And so how did we do that? Um, the best thing for me was to be on the sidewalk every week as people came into church. And you began to say hello to people, but you, ha- you can't stop with just hello. Learn someone's name, remember them when they come back, talk to their kids, smile, be consistent over time. And as you begin to build an intentional relationship, they will begin to follow you and to trust you and to get involved. People are our mission. And God created us to fellowship with him, but he also created us for community and to fellowship with one another. And if you're seeking a thriving ministry, please know it starts with people, not with a program. You'll get more people in your programs when you do life together with all mission. When ministry is done on our feet, not on a platform. And my best advice to you is to remember your calling, remember who called you, and remember to run to him daily. Your ministry is a reflection of God's work in you. And disciple others as he has discipled you. Love people as he has loved you. And remember the gospel is not the diving board. It is the swimming pool. Evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand, and as we share the good news, we have to equip others to do the same. And when you think you have it all figured out, just watch out, because that's likely when it's going to change. Follow the call and trust the shepherd as he guides you, because ministry is messy, and there's nowhere else we'd rather be. I've shared some of my story today, and I hope it encourages you as you lead and serve and realize that you might not know where he's calling you to, and if you know, he might change it. Um, But what we're called to do is live on mission together and serve together. So if you take the piece of paper I gave you, and if you flip it over to the back, there are four questions. And what we're going to do is we are going to gather in small groups, um, three to four people. Um, You're going to, at least three, no more than four, and they have to be women that you did not come with or not in your church. So we're going to do like fruit basket turnover in this little room. I'm really sorry how hot it is in here. Um, But so we're going to group up in three to four, and there are four questions that you're just going to spend a few minutes sharing together um, in here. And so it says, in what capacity do you currently lead or serve in women's discipleship and how long have you served? What does your women's discipleship or women's ministry look like in your church? By that, I'm just saying about how many people are in it. What do you currently offer? And then one thing that you would like to develop or improve. And then one piece of advice you would give another leader in women's discipleship that you've learned along the way. So you're going to group up in groups of at least three, no more than four. Somebody you don't, you can't know each other. You can't got to come from different churches. So this is how you can network and meet other women to encourage you. So go. You got about five minutes. Yeah, I don't know how well I'm doing
work at the restaurant. And once that's
in here. The windows don't open and we can't leave the door open for sounds. I'm really, really sorry. So you can get like 10 minutes to run outside and get some cool air before the next breakout. Um, but I hope that you made some connections with different women around the room and that you'll swap numbers and emails and do things like that so that you can stay in touch with one another long term. Just remember these women are all in the same place as you. And so don't think, oh, I'm not going to reach out to her because she doesn't really want me to email her. She does email her. Um, this is my email. If you need something, you send me an email. I consult with a convention, and if you can contact them, they're just going to send you to me. So skip the middleman, and here you go. Um, and I should say skip the middlewoman, I guess. Um, and so also, I want to invite you all to our. Maybe some of you have been to our annual retreat. We haven't been together annually in person since 2019 at Careway. We'll be back in October in 2022, October 28th, 29th. Um, is the NC Baptist Women's Discipleship Conference. Um, and so look for info to come in on that. Registration opens June 1st, typically. Um, but we hope you will come. We hope you'll bring your friends. We hope you'll bring women from your church, women from your community. We have a bunch of breakout sessions there. And we're also looking at having a breakout specially, specifically to um, equip women's ministry leaders and encourage one another um, while you're there. 
It's also a way to get away from life and your family and your kids and all the things. So it's a great place if you've never been to Caraway. Um, also, I have some of these. This is a great resource for the women in your church if you are looking how to study your Bible. We put this out several years ago. It's online digitally if you want to find it online. But if you want a paper copy, we also printed some of those. Um, and I will leave the stack here and you're welcome to grab one of those. But it is digitally online. And if you can't find it online, email me and I'll send you directly to it, but that's just how to study your Bible, which is a good tool we have. Again, I hope that we will see many of you in October for our women's uh, conference. And Christina Devlin is leading the next breakout. If you're in here, she is amazing. She also consults with the state and we'll kind of talk a little bit more of how you do women's discipleship in the church. I'm gonna pray for us before we leave. Dear Lord, I thank you for all the women in this room. I thank you for 27 women on mission together. Lord, I thank you for 27 women with 27 different circles of influence and how you use them to multiply the gospel, Lord. May we realize that the gospel is not the diving board, it's the whole pool. And may we live our life in that pool and may we live our life drawing others to it and sending others out to do the same, Lord. I pray for these women, Lord. Equip them, encourage them, Lord. Use them in their churches as they are the hands and feet of Jesus to hurting women all around them. Lord, I just pray for each of them and I thank you for bringing them here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ladies. Thank you.